So Money episode 1579, playing financial catch up with Anisha Ramakrishna, star of the Bravo show Family Karma. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. In my 20s, I didn't do any of that. And had I done those things, right now I'd probably have a few million dollars in the bank and two to three homes. So now Mm. I'm at 39. I don't own any property. And I'm starting out in life at 39. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. This episode is for any of you out there who feel like you might be behind on your financial goals. Our guest today is 39 years old and says she just sort of feels like things are coming together now, finally. You may know her if you watch Bravo or are a fan of her podcast. Our guest is Anisha Ramakrishna. She's the star of the Bravo show, Family Karma, and host of the Dear Media podcast called Currently Cringing. On Family Karma, we watch Anisha manage her first generation Indian identity along with her family dynamics and culture. Anisha and I discuss the business of comedy, the entertainment world, why she feels like a late bloomer in her financial life and what she's doing to play catch up, the behind the scenes of her Bravo show, and also her immigrant upbringing. Her family moved here from India, settled in Miami, Florida when she was just 10 years old. Here is Anisha Ramakrishna. Anisha Ramakrishna, welcome to So Money. I have a Bravo Liberty in the house. Look at us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I think it's a topic that my audience doesn't really talk about. So I really want them to listen to this episode. I mean, your podcast is called Currently Cringing. And what could be more cringeworthy than talking about money? What are some, if you were to do a show on money on your podcast, uh, which is very funny and everyone should check it out. I'll put the links in our show notes for your podcast and your Bravo show. And also you have, you're an entrepreneur, you're a fashion designer. Like, Are you just uh, having any time for yourself these days? I know people ask me what I do and it's the dreaded question because they can't quantify it, right? As in society, people want, you know, W2, like, do you go to a job? Like when you're an entrepreneur, you're kind of doing a few things. And so... I hate that question. (laughs) Yeah, same, same. You just say, just tell them you're a rainmaker. Just tell them you you make magic. But but speaking of money, let's just go there. I mean, you cover a lot of different topics on Currently Cringing, everything from dating to, I was saying you're covering like celebrity life, Jonah, um, is it, is it, which Jonas is getting divorced right now? Joe. (laughs) Joe, right. And, and you're terribly funny. What would you want to talk about money on your show? Like, I would be happy to join you, but um, what's yes. what's like on your? You're just you're newly married. You just turned thirty nine. Like, what's on your money mind? I actually would love to have you on my podcast because we've never had a money episode, and it's kind of perfect timing that I'm on your podcast right now because for the first time in my life at thirty nine, I am able to save, and a lot of people don't talk about that. I 
come from an upper middle class family, but my parents, you know, they're old school, they're immigrants. I've never had any handouts. They've never given me money. And so it's been a roller coaster of a journey being an entrepreneur, leaving a very good job in corporate America, in fashion, in New York City. I had a very good job from 2011 to 2017 and leaving that job to move back home to start my own clothing line and then doing Family Karma, the show that I'm on on Bravo and not having that steady paycheck. When you're an entrepreneur, until you've you've really hit it, you're kind of, every month is a surprise. So when you were working for is it Ellie Tahari? Ellie Tahari. I never know if it's Eli or Ellie. Ellie. Um, I love I love their clothing. But you were um, VP of product development for Ellie Tahari, and you weren't able to save then either. I did not save because I lived by myself in New York City, and I chose to travel. Mm. And I know that's not good money advice. Had I known then what I know now which I didn't know this stuff, you know, we, we don't talk about this stuff, especially as an elder millennial, people are talking about it now. I didn't know that you could go to the bank if you have good credit, good credit is important for your listeners. If you have good credit and you're starting out in life, you can get out a loan and purchase a home, not for you to live in, but as an investment property. And, you know, people can live in it and pay you rent, which in turn that rent pays the mortgage. And all those things, right? Like the Roth IRA. And you hear about these things, but you don't really know what it is. And so in my 20s, I didn't do any of that. And had I done those things, right now, I'd probably have a few million dollars in the bank and two to three homes. So now Mm -hmm. I'm at 39. I don't own any property. And I'm starting out in life at 39. So what's your plan? I want to get to your Bravo show and more about the podcast and also your comeuppance. I know you were born in India and you moved to the States at 10 years old. I want to know what the first day of school was like for you in Florida, but um, I just can't get away from this money topic, obviously. I just want to know now at 39 and also newly married and coming into some um, great money as all your hard work is paying off, how are you playing quote unquote catch up in your financial life? Well, I've First of all, I've never had, you know, people say have three months or six months for a rainy day. I never had that until now. And that's not because I didn't make money. It's because when you're an entrepreneur, a lot of your money goes into reinvesting into your business or your personal brand. So whatever money I would make, you know, I'd reinvest it in either new product or advertising. And we all know how expensive advertising is if you're an entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. And now I actually have excess income where I can save. And Mm. I don't believe in the don't buy your $5 Starbucks coffee because those are the simple pleasures for some of us that, you know, are not making a lot of money, you know, buy the Starbucks coffee. But I'm also in a unique position because I don't have a family. I don't have children. I, I was able to make those decisions because... I'm not responsible for anybody else. Now, being married, I've been married, it'll be a year, October 8th. 
I'm with someone who is also starting out later in life because my husband is a vascular surgeon. So he just started his first job at 37. So we're both starting out in life. And, you know, we've decided every month we're going to put this month this much away and eventually buy investment properties, not necessarily a home for ourselves, but more uh, property investments. And now I have a Vanguard account with him and all these things that I always knew about because I do have an MBA in finance that didn't really do much for me because I ended up on Bravo. But I have the knowledge. I just never had the funds. And what are the conversations about money with your new husband? Are there things that feel awkward or cringy to talk about? Tell us. Yes, it's very awkward. It's very cringy because when you make the decision to get married, it's a topic you have to discuss. And I was someone that always hated talking about money because I didn't have any. (laughs) So when you don't have any, you don't want to talk about it. And my parents, you know, good, hardworking immigrant parents would always tell me to save, you know, don't go on the trip, you know, invest. And I never listened to them. You know, I was more live in the moment, which is kind of a problem, I'd say, in our millennial Mm -hmm. culture. It's more YOLO. Mm -hmm. And then the YOLO lasts for 10 years. And here I am. But we had that conversation. We sat down and we wrote down our finances. And that's nice. It's great. And he's also good because I started making money when I met him. Uh You know, so it was more uh, getting educated on money. And what do you do in 2023 as a couple with your money? We're not a traditional couple. We have our separate bank accounts and then things that we receive together. For example, we received money at our wedding, even though we said no gifts. And now we have to write thank you notes. First of all, problems. We, you know, opened a savings account for us both because prior to that, we had our separate accounts, even though we knew our finances, we didn't have a shared account. So we share the money that we earn together. And in this Mm -hmm. case, it's money from family or birthday money or the money we got from our wedding. Makes sense. Yeah. I think that modern couples, especially those that are getting married, quote unquote, later in life, not in their 20s, I think it makes a lot of sense because at this point, you have your own financial system, which I think should still be honored while also working on a new system, a combined system. I think that I always say three buckets, yours, mine, ours. You're doing it right, Anisha. Well, and, and you have kids. I think kids changes the whole story and I'm not there yet in life. So I'd, I'd love to get into that with you too. Oh yeah. Well, you know, as you're, um, as someone who's maybe a few years ahead on that front, um, you can ask me all the questions. I would be happy to to do that for you. Now, you went from fashion, big job in fashion, studied fashion, to this pivot, sort of. I mean, you're still working in fashion by choice as an entrepreneur now. However, in addition to that, you're also touring on your comedy tour. You have the Bravo show. You have the podcast. You have very much your own Uh, comedy celebrity brand. How do you break into that? Because that feels like you don't go to school for that, right? You don't get a job for that. You have to create those opportunities. Advice for anybody who wants to go down the entertainment path. 
Yeah. So I will say I was not good at saving money, but I know how to make money. So money is always coming to me. It's saving it. And I can finally save it now because I'm making enough to save. But I pitched the show Family Karma to Bravo with my friend and castmate Vishal in 2014 while I was working at Ellie Tahari. And they all knew this, you know, everyone was like, you should be on Bravo. And at the time I was a Bravo junkie and I thought, you know, I want to see Indians on Bravo. And, you know, we had Shahs of Sunset and I was obsessed and I thought, you know, it'd be cool to see Indians. And so we pitched it in 2014. Back then, you know, you just sent a DM and an email and they actually found me on Instagram and they were looking for a friend group, not necessarily Indian, just a friend group that had ties. And in our case, our parents have been friends for over 30 years. We've been friends for over 20 years. So there was this history there and that's what they loved about us. And our show is multi-generational. So you have grandparents, parents, and then us, the kids, who we call kids, but we're all in our mid to late thirties. And did, did it take a lot of convincing to include the older generation? Oh, yeah. I feel like they might be a little on the fence. Yeah. And it was a long journey to get there. When we finally got the green light in 2017, we aired, we filmed the show in 2018 and then it aired in 2020. But behind the scenes is basically our parents yelling at us even more, you know, they were not happy about this, but as immigrant parents, for the most part, they're there to support you. And, you know, we weren't hurting anyone or, you know, harming anyone. And so towards the end, they actually ended up loving it. And after the first season aired, they saw, you know, the impact that we made for the culture. And for me, my sole reason for wanting to be on Family Karma or have Family Karma was A, to see Indians on TV and B, for my own reasons, right? To start my business and launch my clothing line. And then we launch in 2020, the same week of the lockdown. And now I've saved all my money from Tahari to launch this clothing line and no one's wearing dresses. (laughs) But now... Yes. How did you navigate that pandemic as an entrepreneur? I am grateful that I was living with my parents. I don't know what I would have done without them. I was living with my parents and doing whatever I could, which is, I think, creating content, just making people laugh is kind of what I've done my entire life. It's what I did to adapt moving at 10 from Jakarta, Indonesia to Miami, just talking and making people laugh has been kind of my way of making people feel comfortable or relatable to me because I was the only Indian in my school and I wasn't allowed to do much. You know, I wasn't allowed to sleep over or talk on the phone with boys. So I was limited in what I would, what I could do. And so in order to make friends, I, you know, would just make jokes and watching a lot of American television, you know, learning about comedy from a young age. But after being on Family Karma and just being funny, I also come from a funny family. I think that helps. My mom is hilarious. You got to have thick skin to be in our house. My grandfather is hilarious. So just being around that all the time. And that's kind of your way of getting through things. You know, we don't really talk about the serious things. We don't have deep conversations you know, you, you add humor. 
right, to make, right. make things better. And so I kind of brought that on the show. And from the show, I got invited to perform at Caroline's on Broadway, which no longer exists. But really? Wait, what? Come back. Yeah, they couldn't pay the rent. Oh, no. Yeah. I performed there uh, once and, uh, you know, for Big like- deal. A- it's such a big deal and it was so special and so historic. Oh, I hope they bring it back. Yeah, so I hope so too. So I performed there in 2022, November, two weeks after getting married. Wow. And so I think there was so much going on in my life that I, I looked at it as just like a one and done fun opportunity. And so I didn't put too much focus onto it. And then from there, they invited me to perform at the Miami Improv, which is my home turf, hometown. And I performed in front of friends and family and I bombed. And those are people you want to impress the most, you know, coming from your background, your culture, you know, your parents bring their friends, it's everyone in your community. And from there, I really took it seriously. And, you know, I had a tour from there. You know, I've been traveling, touring the country. Next week, I'm doing Irvine, Oxnard, and San Jose. And so this kind of took off on its own, but it was always in me. Yeah. But it's the hardest thing I've ever done because, you know, talking to you, it's, it's easy, right? But being on a stage and you're the only one talking, no one's talking back to you. And And then you have to make it. When you're not funny. It's one of the hardest things to do. It's not like giving a keynote address, right? Where you've got your three, where yeah. people aren't expecting to be necessarily entertained. This is an act. It's a show. You have memorized everything, not only the words, but how you're going to say them and the the speed and the cadence. And then you have to interact with the audience. And then you have to worry about so many things, so many things happening at the same time. I respect comedians so much. Tell me a little bit about the economics of comedy. I like to ask all the comedians who've graced this show, from Zarna Garg to Michelle Buteau. Margaret Cho has been on this show. I am obsessed with talking about the behind the scenes of comedy because for so long it was male dominated. For so long, it was also a nighttime career where now with social media and so many other stages during the day, it has opened up the possibility for all, all people to, to participate, not just those who have the privilege of having their nights free and can like get in a car and drive from one, you know, bar to the next across America. Like that for me, when I learned that that was the kind of like the life, I was like, that's not what I want to do. No. But you can completely turn comedy into your own thing these days. But tell me a little bit about how you've been negotiating for yourself. Is there any money to be made at this at this point? Yeah. So being a noob, you know, you're going to get like Wednesday night, Tuesday night, very rarely do I get a Saturday or a Friday, even though I've been on this journey for 10 years from 2014, pitching Family Karma to next year, it'll be 2024. You still have to prove yourself because it's an entirely new genre in entertainment. And so for me, it's been lucrative because I get to perform in front of people, but I also had the show. So it's people who love the show or have followed me on social media for 10 years. They are coming, but 
if you're a noob and no one knows who you are, you have to invest in marketing. And even those who do have a platform, me, I don't even have a million followers, but I'm still investing in Facebook ads, for example, for the event. You know, you have to spend on advertising. You have to spend on your airfare to fly to the place. You have to spend on your hotel. So at this stage in my life, I would not be doing it if it was not profitable Mm. at 49. And because I can only now do things that give me an ROI. I can't do things that, you know, I'm, I'm losing money. I can't be in the red anymore. And so I would say, if you're going to do it, there are a lot of people that have, I'll say sponsors. Mm, like athletes. <laughs> Comedians get sponsors. People supporting them, maybe. Ah, uh, okay. Like, uh-huh. Maybe people have money. A lot of people in comedy, I've discussed this with fellow millennial comedians are cosplaying as maybe poor in comedy when they have a lot of money to support this Mm -hmm. machine. And, you know, you, you need to have some sort of savings if you're going to start this or someone helping you out financially, because there you need to make an investment. And in me, in my case, I am selling enough tickets. I'm open my deals, you know, there are 80% of ticket sales. And that was a deal. I did Caroline's for free, by the way, yeah. first show. Yeah. And I was already in New York doing something else. So it didn't matter. And for my, my first show at the Miami Improv, my first real show, it was 80% of ticket sales. A lot of people don't talk about this. And from then on, that was the standard. And then you see other venues they're like oh well it's 50% or this and then i don't i don't go there yeah it's interesting it's it's making me wonder if there's another episode and maybe you should do it but like what is the what is who is the starving artist right now at least in comedy are there any no right it used to be that the starving artist could actually make the art and maybe even be successful and along the way maybe forego some meals and uh, couch surf. and But th- things are so expensive now. To hear you talk about the economics, uh, just like airfare and going and hotels and the marketing, right? Because now we live in a world where everything is so fragmented. You have to market on all the platforms just to get a few people to show up for your stuff. And so who can really be an artist without a financial framework or, or savings or anything these days, right? Like you real, need, really. You need someone supporting you because even, or you need to do it on the side, a side hustle, which is what yeah. I did for many years while working my full-time job. I had a whole other, you know, side hustle. I was selling things on Amazon for so yeah. many years. So you, you have to do something else to supplement your passion Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, people say follow your passion. Like, yeah, if you have a, <laughs> if you've got money, <laughs> yeah. So, um, for me, it's something that I fund on my own. Yeah, being a geriatric millennial, you know, we've we've been on our own for so long, and I'm also not risk averse. I don't have children, and so you're talking to someone who might be an outlier because I quit my job and started my own business and went on reality TV. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's more of a mindset. Mm -hmm. Mindset Mm -hmm. comes into play. Do you believe in yourself? 
Yeah. Well, I promised listeners we would go, we would travel back in time a little bit. And you kind of touched on your, your beginnings in Miami, Florida, and the comedy that you uh, leaned on to navigate probably what was a lot of fear of rejection and fear of loneliness and fear of sort of like, I don't know, so many fears. I wasn't, I was born here, but I also had the parents who were very loud Persian speaking and didn't let me do anything. Uh, yeah, no, no sleepovers, no talking on the phone with boys, no, no eating sugary cereals. I couldn't even watch Punky Brewster because my mom thought she was a bad influence. What was the first, what was, what's your first memory of America, at least as far as like the capitalist culture or the, the economic culture? Like I remember walking into school and the hot lunch kids and the kids who brought brown bags from home was, was an economic divider, believe it or not, because they made us sit separately in the in the lunchroom. And a lot of the kids that were getting hot lunch at my school were getting it subsidized. Or they didn't have the mom who didn't work, who could afford the time to make them the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with the crust cut off and the special note inside. You know what I mean? So we, and then also, you know, it's like, oh, the kids who brought lunch are also the kids that are, they have the new clothes and the new sneakers. And it was just like an immediate uh, realization that um, there is a difference in how people are financially in this world. And I learned this at like, you know, eight years old, seven years old. So for me, it was Similar to your experience, but in a different way. So I actually was born in India and raised in Jakarta, Indonesia. So I went to an international British school, a very, you know, preppy school. And I had friends from all over the world and I had a British accent. And so I came to America with a British accent. And I remember asking to go to the toilet. And the teacher looked at me and she was like, it's restroom. Mm. And, you know, it was just more of a cultural clash. Yeah. And then I realized later in life, most of my life, I talk about this in my comedy show, I thought we were poor, but we were not poor by any Mm. means. We lived in a gated community and we Mm -hmm. had more than enough, but my parents were smart with their money. I don't even want to say frugal. So we were only allowed to buy one pair of sneakers for the school year. And we shared rooms, even though we had plenty of bedrooms. Mm -hmm. We would order one dessert and share amongst the five of us. We were a family of five because, you know, that's healthy. You know, we have very healthy parents. Like you said, we didn't have soda. We ate home food. Mm -hmm. So I actually brought food from home. Yeah. Because, you know, spending lunch money was, that's an expense. So I had like Indian food and Asian food and fried rice at school. And people would always want my lunch. It was very different. And oh, I hated I, my lunch. I'm so jealous of the fact that your lunch was a social magnet. My lunch is, oh my gosh, the potato and parsley sandwiches that I would unravel from loud tin foil. Tomato and mayo because we were Hindu vegetarian. <laughs> That did not score me any any yeah. points with the kids. By the way, in Worcester, Massachusetts, Worcester, the bathroom, the toilet is not even a restroom. It is the lav, the, the lavatory, oh the lav. Yeah, we had a lot of weird, you know, very yeah. like New England terms for things like the bubbler, 
for yeah. the water fountain, the lav, the lav. I don't know. Like now I think of lav, I think of like the lavalier microphone, yeah. but, um, yeah, yeah. but, um, yeah, things like that. You know, I just, we didn't eat out every day. We didn't mm. go to McDonald's. And so I'm sure you didn't was, go on beach vacations either. Like yeah. we were not. So those were the things I assumed were wealthy or having wealth, like going to McDonald's, having like new sneakers every other month. And, you know, we didn't do those things, but now as an adult, I know we were, we were wealthy and we had everything, but my parents wanted to teach me values and what it's like to heart, to have, to work for things. And we worked Mm -hmm. hard. We weren't allowed to watch TV. We had to read, you know, we, Mm -hmm. you know, had, we know how to do everything. We're self-sufficient. And my parents raised us well, maybe a little too well, because we're maybe too independent, too outspoken at times. No, there's no two in there. I think that's- to be quiet it's, sometimes. It's all good. It's all good. I think um, I, I love, I can't get enough, honestly, of, of stories like yours where, where it's such an interesting study, right? Our families, they come here, they risk so much to come to yeah. the United States, really, to think about the, the the leaps that they've taken. And yet they come here and then it's like, no more chances. You know, like we are not risking it anymore. The risk odometer is tapped out. Yes. And I want to share with your listeners, just if anyone's wanting to start their business or trying to make a change, definitely make the decision if you're wise. Like if you have a family of five to feed, maybe rethink realistically. But my dad, we moved here because my dad was a CEO of a company and he was transferred to the Latin American divisions, which is why we moved to Miami. But at 43, my dad started his own business at 43. So I remember what it was like for him and those tough times where, you know, there was a lot of anxiety in the house and our lifestyle never changed. If anything, it got better. He did so much for us and we never missed meals or felt like anything was wrong. Although we did sense the anxiety and the pressure, but life did not change. In fact, he did did so well. And so if my dad can start his business at 43 and we were, I was like in high school, I think, or, you know, and now yeah. I started my business at 33. So you can, you know, make those life decisions if you, if you really want to go for it. We are only here once, I believe. So I agree. And I'm 43. So that's really hitting home for me. I love these stories too of people who are in their 40s and 50s starting something new and fresh and scary, but doing it anyway. Martha Stewart, I read her first book came out in uh, when she was 41. Wow. And and Vera Wang, she was 50. Wow. Yeah. Her first wedding dress. Incredible. Well, we're well, manifesting and- sooner. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, she had a rich dad. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. But no, I mean, she's super talented too. But we should mention, like, you know, I think it's important to give I content. I mentioned that on the show. I was like, I don't want to be Vera Wang. I don't want to be 50. And like, 
wealthy. <laughs> Can it happen just a little sooner? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Anisha, it's been so nice to have some time with you. I really enjoyed your company and I know our audience got so much out of your stories, your insights. We're all rooting for you. Hope to have you back soon. Hope to see you, you in real life soon. Anisha Ramakrishna, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Anisha Ramakrishna for joining us. You can learn more about her Bravo show, Family Karma, and her podcast, Currently Cringing, and all of her whereabouts for her comedy tour at anishacomedy.com. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. Remember, if you leave a review for our show on Apple Podcasts, you may hear your name called on a Friday episode, and you will receive a free 15-minute phone call with me. Looking forward to reading your review. Until then, I hope your day is so money. Money.